bulletin, Exodus chapter 20. Hopefully when you came in, there's going to be a bulletin that's either in back doors, wherever you come in, on the back of that, there's some notes. If you want to use those to kind of reference or to, as we walk through this passage together this morning, but in Exodus chapter 20 is we're going to be at in a few moments. Growing up, uh, my parents were a little bit of fuddy-duddies, I guess maybe a terminology that you could think about, when it came to electronics, and especially when it came to the television. In fact, for a lot of my years growing up, the TV stayed in the closet. And the only time the TV ever came out of the closet was when the Olympics were on, or when we were going to watch a movie. And so we didn't have the cable, we didn't have the stream, I and mean, this was back before you had all the Google and the Netflix and the YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And so we, was, we would just get it out to watch movies. And my parents had some particular movies. It wasn't just go to Blockbuster, remember those? Or it wasn't go um, back whenever they used to have the movie store where the library's at now. Um, it wasn't one of those things that you go and get a movie. We had like five movies, and I may be a little dramatic, but they had like five movies, and that's all we watched. And so it was like every time you wanted to watch a movie, what are we going to watch? We only had five choices. And so you kind of watched the same ones over and over and over. And the five ones that were there, one of them was The Cowboys with John Wayne in it. Now I realize that is not a super spiritual movie and I'm not going to endorse it as being biblically correct through and through. But my parents had these movies, particularly my, my father did, because of the lessons contained there in the movies. You see, we live in a day and age where people think that a certain amount of entertainment, especially when it comes to movies or that kind of media, how it's innocent or it's not making an effect. And I'm going to tell you that Walt Disney knew what he was doing, how to get into the hearts and the ears of people. And that has not stopped. So anytime you watch a movie, the creator, the people that are putting together have a purpose in why they're, why they're putting together the movie. So my dad, he watched the John Wayne movie with the Cowboys, and he said, I like some of the themes that are in that movie, and I want those to be instilled in my children. Now, some of you may already be thinking about some of the different scenes that come from the movie. Some of you may have never watched the movie to begin with, so let me just tell you a quick synopsis of the story. John Wayne is a wealthy cattleman. All of the adult males in that time that were there to help him run the ranch all took off trying to get rich in a gold rush. He had a certain number of cattle that he needed to get from where he was at to Belfouche, I think is the name of the town that he is trying to get to, but he is trying to figure out how he is going to hurt all these cattle cattle from his place to that place and the only people that are left the only able body breathing individuals that are left are all of the schoolboys. and so John Wayne goes and he uh, I guess you kind of say he recruited the schoolboys. he turned them into young cowboys they heard the cattle there and that is where the story goes but right at the almost at the uh, onset of this big cattle herd there's a group of guys that show up adult men and they show up, they're trying to hire on, and John Wayne is sitting there, and he's thinking, finally, I've actually got some grown men that can help me do this work. And he starts asking the questions, and come to find out, these men start lying to John Wayne about where they've been or what they've been doing, and come to find out they'd spent some time in prison, and they were just getting out of prison, but they didn't want to be honest. And so, there's a famous line that comes from that movie. Because John Wayne looks at the guys and says, well, I can't use you. And you know that guy, he looks at him, what do you mean you can't use us? you got all these boys sitting here, you need some men, why can't you use you? And he looked at him and he said, I won't use you. And he has this puzzled look on his face and he looks at John Wayne and he says, why won't you use us? And he said, because you're a liar. And I can't stand a liar. 
There's some things that we need to regain in our culture. There are some things that we need to regain in our society. There are some things that we need to regain in our homes. And one of them is the truthfulness of our mouths. See, the problem that we are living in today is we are so overwhelmed with people lying to us. You turn on the news and you're going to get lied to. You watch the weatherman tell you what the weather's going to be like this afternoon and he might be lying to you. You go up to your social media and people say this is what's important. This wasn't and isn't important. People are lying to you. All around us there are all sorts of people that are lying to us and to the point that if we're not careful we become a little calloused. We become so used to hearing it all, it doesn't affect us like it should. But we've been talking about these foundations. Historically, we talked about them as being the Ten Commandments. We have been walking our way through systematically through these commandments, these Ten Commandments, these Ten Foundations that I've been putting before you. And this morning, we are here in the commandment number nine. And it's specifically down there in verse 16. We're just going to read this one verse, and then we're going to unpack it for the sake of our time this morning. This is what the ninth commandment, the ninth foundation The 16th verse of the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, God's word to us, this is what it says. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now that word there, that verse there, that passage right there, many times have been interpreted that you shall not lie. And so many times... You will, people, you will hear people that will paraphrase it, people that will put a, a, a twist on it or something else. But the simple, when you boil it all down, says, you shall not lie. The danger is, the problem is, the reality is, is that we all lie to one degree or another. So what I want to do this morning is just examine the lies that we share. In fact, more specifically, I just want to look at two different categories of lies. And here's kind of what something I want you to keep in your back of your mind. When you or I lie, many, if not most of the time, our lies reveal our God. You may say, what are you talking about, Spence? Well, if I was to get up before you this morning, I would say, man, those Sooners really whooped those Wildcats yesterday, didn't they? I've been waiting for that one all afternoon. Oh! It'll be if you were to get up and you were to start saying something. What you're trying to do is you're trying to protect what you love. You're trying to protect what you like. You're trying to protect what you own or what you value. It's one of those things so many times in our daily lives. When we lie, we're just showing people what really matters to us. I am going to distort the truth. I'm going to twist the truth to make myself or something around me look better. So right here in this commandment, it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So, so many times we want to say, well, then you needed to find what is lying preacher because everybody has a different definition some is a white lie some is a brown lie some is a purple lie some is a violet lie some is a brown lie black lie whatever you want to call it everybody has a different definition of what it means to lie or to bear a false witness so I put one definition there in your notes it's any form of communication or impression that is untrue or misleading Anything that you and I say or communicate that is untrue or misleading. My mother will tell you that men do most of their communication non-verbally. 
I, I kind of wonder if, where she got that from. I think sometimes she has some numbers, but she has this idea that there's so many times, especially us men, that we do a whole lot more communicating with our face and with our posture and with our breathing back and forth and the sounds that come out of us than we ever do with our mouth. And so she would say that you can lie without opening your mouth. See, you can lie when you're, with your body language. You can lie with your silence. You can lie with your omissions, you can lie, and it doesn't have to be verbal words that come out of your mouth. So I want you to understand this morning that when you break this passage down and you look at it, he isn't just talking about the words that come out of your mouth. He's talking about the conduct and the action of your life. And he says when it comes to evaluating your life as a whole, does it bear witness to the truthfulness of God or does it bear witness to the idolatry of your life. So let's look at these two categories, if you will. Back to verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Obviously God understood that the temptation to lie was there. Obviously God understood that these people would be prone to lie. Obviously God knew that they understood what it was he was that what it was that he was telling them. Obviously God wanted to make sure that they were clear as could be as far as what he desired for their life. But notice these two categories that I'm going to give you when it comes to the lies that we so often share. First one is the lies about us. The first category that I want to give you, and this isn't conclusive, this isn't exhaustive, but just think about this, because so many times you and I can come to this passage and just say, well, you know what, I didn't lie today, so therefore I'm good. But you know, our witness encompasses so much more than just the words out of our mouths. And so many times with our daily lives and our daily actions, we share or communicate or present lies about us. Look at one of the lies about us. You turn back to your left, go back to Exodus chapter 3, and you get to the first sin recorded in Scripture. The first sin recorded in Scripture was when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, and he comes down to Eve, and he looks at Eve and says, Did God actually say. He gets down to verse uh, 6 and he's already tipped at her and said you should take a bite of the fruit and then notice what it says in verse 6. Chapter 3 and verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. It's this idea that so many times we try to lie to ourselves and to say to ourselves, we can trust ourselves. I know that I shouldn't do that, but you know what? I can handle it. I know I shouldn't go there, but you know what? I can deal with it. I know that that's not healthy for me, but you know what? I will make up for it later. We have these lies that we tell ourselves something like, I can trust me. So there's a danger when you and I start thinking that we can take care of ourselves. Because if we can take care of ourselves, then we don't need God. And if we can take care of ourselves, we don't need a Savior. And if we can take care of ourselves, we don't need the Holy Spirit. And if we can take care of ourselves, we don't need God's Word. Too many times the world tries to say, you are enough by yourself. And yet when you come back to the Word of God, the Word of God reminds you and I that we are not enough by ourselves, which is why we need to be forgiven. Which is why we need salvation. It's not because of the fact that he needs us. We need him. 
And brothers and sisters, so many times you think to yourself, well, I can handle it. I can take care of me. So you tell yourself this lie. You say, well, I can trust myself. Or you come up with this other lie. And this other lie is that I know what is right for me. See, people all around you will say, well, you know what? That may not be right for you, but that's okay for me. You know, you can't tell me what's right for me. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what is right or wrong. You can't tell me what to do. And what you're saying is, is you can't, but I can tell myself what to do. Here's my question. When did you become that reliable? When did you become that infallible? If you've never made a mistake, if you've never been wrong, if you've never found yourself misinformed, you see, church, so many times we start to have this idea that because I know what is right for me, I am my own. God, and you can turn back if we had time to Romans chapter 7, and Paul is sitting there, the super apostle, and he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I know I should do, I don't do. And why is it? It's because of my sin, because of my flesh, because of the wickedness inside of me. All these things I know I should do, but I'm not doing them. And you and I think, oh, we are better than Paul. And that's a lie that we can be tempted to believe. It's a lie that we can tell ourselves that I know right from wrong. I know what is right for me. Another lie that creeps in is that I'm good enough. Well, preacher, I know that I need to go to church. But you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I pray before I go to bed. I usually read my Bible on an average pretty much most of the time. You know what? I'm good people. I open the doors up for women. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm good enough myself. I don't need to be faithful. I don't need to be obedient. I don't need to be humble before my God. I am good enough. And Romans 3.23 reminds us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room Every single person watching by Facebook, every single person listening over the computer, every single person that is on the face of this earth, the Bible says every single person has sinned. And yet so many times in our humanity, we think, well, because I'm better than that person or because I try harder than that person, I am good enough. And brothers and sisters, you and I can spend our entire lives trying to be good enough trying to do the right things, trying, 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 and we can still die and go to hell. Because the Bible tells us that none is good. No, not one. But we lie to ourselves. We give us these lies. The Bible tells us back in Exodus chapter 20, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And yet we Proclaim, we, we, we demonstrate, we present these lies about ourselves. But maybe here is one of the most dangerous ones that I think that we are tempted with. That sin isn't a big deal. That sin isn't a big deal. We start to believe this, that we can dabble. We start to believe this, that we can play around with it. We start to believe that we can uh, play uh, with fire, if you will. We think that we can control it. And Satan is sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, that's what I want you to do. I want you to think that it's not that big of a problem. I want you to think that it's not gonna, you can handle it. I want you to think that you have control over it. I want you to think that you can deal with whatever it is. I want you to believe that sin isn't a big deal. He comes to Adam and Eve there in the garden. He looks at Eve and he hands her that fruit. He says, don't you want it? I know God said no. 
but it's just a little bite. How many cuss words is permitted in a movie before it's not okay for you to watch it? alcohol can you have before you enter into drunkenness? How much skin has to be shown before it becomes pornography or immorality? How much is too much? Some of you already know this about me. Some of you don't. Some of you need to know this about me. I have a healthy phobia of snakes. Phobia is usually used as a bad way saying it's something negative. But I'm just going to tell you that if one of you mistaken or mistook this church for being one of them other kind of churches and you came in with a whole basket full of snakes, I would be gone. I wouldn't stick around. I wouldn't look around. I'd say, well, I wouldn't wait and say, well, just keep them back there. No, I am gone. I am off of the premises. I am out of the place. It's one of those things that if you were to come in that back door and I was to see a snake in your hand, I wouldn't say, what kind of snake is it? I am headed that way. It doesn't really matter. Why? Because I'm not going to dabble with them. I am not going to play with them. I am not going to toy with them. I am going to stay as far away as possible from them. I was turning off on Highway 177 onto 880 Road the other day, and I was in my work truck, which has the duels in the back end, and I saw this snake. And it was just a harmless snake. In fact, it even had a white flag that it was waving back and forth saying, Here, I'm, I'm gentle. I'm innocent. No, you're not. Mr. Goodrich got all three of them over the snake. And then I thought, well, I don't know if I did it right or not because if he limps back over to my house, I'm in trouble. So I backed up. (laughs) And I went forward. And you can never be too sure about these kind of things. And so I backed up again. Until I felt confident that there was no way he was going to limp himself three miles to my house. I wanted to make sure there was no chance he was getting there. Why? Because I had that kind of disdain for snakes. And yet, how many times do we dabble with sin? The same sin that put our Savior on the cross. The same sin that caused the blood to be spilled. The same sin that caused the nails to be driven. The same sin that took the life of Christ. The same sin that caused the wrath of God to be poured out on His only Son. The same sin that leads people and drives people and causes people to go to hell. The same kind of sin that is in anguish when people are in eternal hell. The same kind of sin that Christ died to save us from. This same kind of sin. And yet... We act like it's no big deal. So we toy. And we play. And I submit to you this morning that all we are doing is perpetuating lies about us. And when God comes in in Exodus chapter 20... And he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That word against is really just saying to or in front of or around or presenting that to your neighbor. So he's saying, you shall not lie to your neighbor. So when I come in and I look at you and I say, well, I've got it all together. (laughs) Or if I say, you know what, I had a perfect week. 
Or if I come in and say, well, I'm sinless. Or if I come in and say, I'm hitting all my marks. Or if I'm coming in and I'm saying my prayer life couldn't get any better. Or if I come in and I'm going to say, you all need to act and be just like me. Or if I'm going to come in and I'm going to try to say that I don't have any problems, that I don't have any temptations, that I don't have any struggles, that I don't have any kind of hardships or opposition in this world. If I try to come in and say anything that isn't true, I am bearing false witness against you. And yet we will come in and play the Christian ping pong. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, we are not. We are struggling. We are struggling. There's not a single one of us in this room that would, if we were to be honest with ourselves, that say our prayer life couldn't get any better. There's not a single one of us in this room that says all seven days I have hit it completely. Tens, 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 tens on the marks of Christian behavior. There's not a single one of us and yet we come in and we present and we show these lies about ourselves. The Bible tells us we need to be careful. If we're doing it to try to mislead or deceive one another. So there's a lies about us. But then notice there's another category that I want you to consider. Out of this 16th verse here in Exodus chapter 20, he talks about the neighbors. He's talking about the lying in front of the neighbors. He talks about the lies that we tell about ourselves. But then there's also the lies about them. So you might be tempted to present or to look in front of other people around you. You might try to put on a show, put on a face, put on a front. You want want to present yourself in this particular light. So you have lies about yourself, but then you also have lies about them. Well, who are the them, preacher? The them are your neighbors. Well, who is my neighbor, preacher? Anybody around you. Anybody created in the image of God, anybody, anybody in this room, anybody in this community, anybody around you is considered to be a neighbor. And I'm going to categorize them all into the them. And the danger that we have in this world today is because we just assume that they are good enough. And you may say, well, preacher, I don't think that they're good enough. Well, you must think that they're good enough. Why do you say that? Because you're not telling about Jesus. You're not talking about salvation. You're not telling them about sin. You're not telling them about church. You're not inviting them to church. You're not telling them, here's what God did for you. Here's what His Son did for you. Here's what the Holy Spirit is going to do for you. You're not telling them anything. Well, why not? Because you assume that they must be good enough. The problem is what the Bible says about that. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The Bible reminds us that there is not a single person that is good enough. And yet so many times we will try to present or try to believe or try to think, well, they are good people. And they might be good people. But good people go to hell. Good people need Jesus. Good people can be deceived. Good people can be led astray. It's not a matter of if you're good or if you're not good. The question is, are you saved or are you lost? And so sometimes we tell ourselves this lie. Well, they must be good people. Or another time we'll tell ourselves a lie that this truth is relative. You'll hear this before when people are in different denominations or they're in different religions or they're in different churches and you say, well, that's what they believe but that's not what I believe. Can I, can I, there's only one truth. There's only one word of God. 
There's only one thing that God has given us. Now you may say, well, what do we do about these other denominations? What do we do about these other ways of teaching? I'm just going to tell you this morning, there is only one truth, and that is God's truth. And it doesn't mean that it's relative. It doesn't mean that you can identify as this or that or something else. We had somebody the other day at church was asking me what a pansexual was. And we are living in a day that you have these different types of definitions of people are going, what does that even mean? You have your uh, cisgender, you have your transsexual, you have your bisexuals, you got your pansexuals. You have all of these different ways of identifying as a human being. I'm going to tell you how God identifies it. He identifies it as a person made in the image of God. He doesn't have alphabets. He doesn't have all kinds of different opportunities. He said that God created the man and woman. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. He's not leaving truth up to some type of relative term that you and I get to determine. And yes, so many times in this world today, we can go around and say, well, you can believe what you want to believe. I can believe what I'm going to believe. They can believe what they're going to believe. And I'm just going to tell you that so many times we think that truth is relative. And the worst thing that we can do is to look at a watching world and to say, it doesn't matter what you believe. It does. Because what they will believe will determine whether they are going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell. It does matter what they believe. It does matter about the truth. It does matter about your voice. It does matter what you are saying about God. It does matter. We're living in such a day where we have to be politically correct. Well, who determines what is politically correct? We're living in such a day that you have to be tolerant. Who defines what is tolerant? We're living in such a day that people say, well, you can't say this and you can't do that. Well, who determines what I can or I cannot say? Church, you go ahead and mark this down. The longer we stay silent in the communities around us, the more the communities will expect us to be silent on everything. And he reminds us, we shall not bear false witness. So even when you are complicit in heresy, even when you are allowing lies to be spewed out, even when you are thinking, well, I'm not going to say anything because it's not my place. What we're saying about them is they don't deserve the truth. Or we might be thinking that their sin doesn't affect me. That their sin doesn't affect me. And I want you to know that our sin affects Everyone. The sin within the church affects the church. How do you know that, preacher? Because I got a Bible. And my Bible tells me in Joshua chapter 7 that when Joshua led the people and they circled Jericho and the walls fell down, Joshua told the people, don't take anything out of Jericho. Everything is the Lord's. And remember, there was one guy. Some some commentators will say there was many as 600,000 Israelites there at Jericho. And one guy... One guy named Achan took some stuff. He took some stuff. In fact, there were three different items that he took. And he took them and he put them in his tent. And because he did that, when they went up to Ai to battle against Ai, the battle of Ai went against them. People died. Lives were lost. Husbands were killed. Fathers were separated. And all of this happened because one guy out of 600,000 people sinned. And God told Joshua, you got sin in the camp. And until you get sin out of the camp, I'm not going to bless it. And yet we will come to church and we wonder why God's not blessing the church like we wish he would. It could be because we got sin in the church. It could be because we got sin in the camp. 
It could be because we are sitting in this room thinking that their sin doesn't affect me. I'm going to tell you, you never jump into a mud puddle with a white shirt on and come out of the mud puddle and they're being white in the mud puddle. Well, that's not how that works. That's not how that happens. You never go through life and the world does not affect you. It always comes through. The other day, Eli was helping Evan over at the hog farm. And when he comes home, guess what he smelled like? You mean the pigs didn't start smelling like the laundry detergent? No. That's not the way it works. And I'm going to tell you that when you and I and we go out and we waller in the world, what is going to happen? The effects and the tinges and the taints and the odors of the world will come on to us. And we can believe those lies if we want to that says that, oh, they're good people. Oh, well, it's all relative or that their sin won't affect me. And sometimes we come through life with this attitude thinking, that I can be in the world and the world will have no effect on me. But here comes this last one. I know my time is all gone. But I want you to listen to this last slide that we sell ourselves about them. That they are not my them. I want you to take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to see this and we'll be through in just a few short moments. But I want you to see this idea, this picture that I want you to grasp hold of here in God's word. Because we have these lies. We know, we know that we should not lie. God says do not lie. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And yet we lie about ourselves. We lie to ourselves. And then if that is not bad enough, we lie about the people around us. Either we give them too much credit and we say that they're too good or we say they can believe what they want to believe because there is no truth or we think that their actions and their sin does not affect us or maybe even this last one that we have this attitude that they are not my them. I want you to see where I'm getting this from this morning. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28, you have what they call the great commission. Jesus had lived his life with his, these disciples for these last three plus years. He comes to the culmination of his ministry. He's already died on the cross. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected and he is getting ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He had already come and already paid the price for our sins, already been in the tomb, already defeated death, making it possible that we can be forgiven of our sins, making it possible that we might have eternal life with our Heavenly Father. All of these things and right before he ascends back to the right hand of God he looks at his church and he gives them their final orders and this is what he says go therefore and make disciples of all nations then notice baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of of the age. Now, if we are gathered here as the church this morning, these words are for us. And God tells us through His Son, Jesus Christ, all right, church, First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, all right, church, this is what you are to do. You are not to go out and try to stack and pad your retirement accounts. You are not to go out and see how many possessions that you can accumulate. You're not to go out and have the most easy, comfortable, stress-free life. You are to go out as the church and advance the kingdom of God. And how do we do that? He says, go and make 
disciples. How do you make disciples? You see people turn from their sin, turn to salvation. You see people turn from themselves to Christ. You see people say, I am tired of trying to do this on my own. I need a Savior. He says, you go to them. And it's not just enough to see them be made disciples, to see them follow in obedience, talking about baptism right there. But he says, teaching them. We are to disciple them. We are to tell them this is what the truthfulness of God's word says. And yet so many times we think that we're going to live this daily life and we don't have to tell a single person about Jesus, which is such an enigma to me. The statisticians tell us But the average church member, the average church member, now I know that you all are way above average, so just hear me out. The average church member maybe shares their faith, maybe shares the plan of salvation, maybe shares the gospel once every three to five years. Are you trying to tell me that they're only talking to somebody every three to five years? No, they're talking to somebody every day. But they tell us that the average church member could go easily a day, a week, a month, six months, a year, and never tell somebody about Jesus. Maybe if we were going to be a little sharper this morning, maybe you could ask yourself, when was the last time I told somebody about salvation? Not that I asked to invite him to church. Not that I said, well, I read my Bible. Not that I said I am a Christian. When was the last time I looked at somebody and said, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you ever come to that point that you've repented of your sins, confessed of your sins, and cried out for forgiveness and salvation, and made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you ever gotten to that moment that you recognize that your sins carried the penalty of death, and if you die today, you would die in your sin, spend an eternity in hell, and you cried out for the only help and hope that you could have for the salvation of Jesus Christ? Have you ever gotten there? Well, preacher, I can't do that. See, that'd make it be uncomfortable. They're going to be uncomfortable for an eternity apart from Christ. Why not make them a little bit uncomfortable now? Oh, well, preacher, that's not my job. That's your job. It is my job. It's our job. Well, that's the preacher, and that's the deacons, and that's the Sunday school teacher's job. That is our job. Our job. Well, I'm not gifted to speak. I'm not gifted with the words. What if they ask me a question? Oh, that's where you come to practice. And that's where you start to work at it. And that's where you get over it. And all those things are there because you realize that they are the them. People in this room, people outside of these walls, the people around, the neighbors around you, they are the them. Those are the them that God has put in front of us. God has put in our lives and says, you go to them. And yet, how many times in our own personal lives, how many times in the course of our days that we are sitting there saying, nothing. talk football we'll talk fishing we'll talk work we'll talk about family we'll talk about news we'll talk about current events oh we'll sit here and we'll just talk about everything else except for where we're at spiritually and I'm not telling you this morning that it's necessarily a matter of you and I getting up and 
trying to mislead or lie to people. But just as dangerous as you and I intentionally trying to lie to someone is the danger of you and I never saying what we're supposed to say to someone. And just as much as we can be guilty of lying to people with the words that we did say is lying to people with the words that God gave us to say that we never said to begin with. So when God comes in here in Exodus chapter 20 and he looks at these people. He's writing there on these tablets speaking through Moses to these people and he says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Friend, I'm going to tell you that the way that we guard ourselves from this false witness is that we make sure that our life reflects our heart. That we make sure our life reflects our spirit. And when it comes to those around us, we know that the greatest need that anybody has in this church, the greatest need that anybody has in our community, the greatest need that anybody has in our workplace or in our friends or at the table or in our lives or in our social media. The greatest need that anybody has is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all they need. That's what they need. That's the greatest need that they have. Not money, not health, not prosperity, not ease of life, not satisfaction, not pleasure, not happiness. They need saved. And yet, we lie about ourselves and then we lie about them. So how's our foundation doing this morning? Let me give you three questions and then we're going to be done this, this morning. Three questions and I'll be in my seat. Just three questions that I want you to ask yourself about your foundation, your life, your faith, your practice, your behavior, your habits. Question number one, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? You know if you're being faithful to God. You know if you're being obedient to God. You know the condition of your heart. You know what God wants you to do. You know, you know, you know. The question is, is are you being honest with yourself? Or do you have one of those attitudes that I'm going to make it up or I'm going to fake it till I make it or I'm just going to let it go and I'm just going to get past this time and you know what, self? You're not really hearing what God wants you to hear. I'm going to tell you that it's difficult when you know God's telling you to do something but you don't want to do it. And God starts beating you over the head and he starts beating you over the head and he starts beating you over the head. And you lie to yourself. Or maybe this next one. Am I being honest with them? Am I being honest with myself about what God is and who God is to me? And I'm being honest with them about who God is to them. Am I being honest with them? Somebody asked me, I was around a pumper the other day. And he gets in the truck and he said, uh, something's come up. And he said, man, he started describing me this scene. And I said, well, what shows that from? He said, from Game of Thrones. I said, really? He said, yeah, have you never watched that before? And I said, uh-uh. Oh, man. He said, you got to watch that. you got to watch that show. And I was like, well, why is that? And he started kidding me. Well, it's this and this and this and this and this and this. And I said, I don't think so. He said, why not? And I said, because I don't, I don't think that's a show that I should be watching. He said, why? You some kind of preacher? <laughs> yep. And you could see his face. Nobody told me that. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I wouldn't have cussed in front of you if I'd have known. Man, you're not answering to me. And I told him, I said, man, you're not going to answer to me. You're answering to God. 
So you don't need an answer to me about what kind of TV show you watch. You don't need an answer to me what kind of language you're saying. You don't need an answer to me about what kind of lifestyle you're living because ultimately you're going to answer to God. That is what you need to be more paranoid of is answering to God. But you know the danger is in that moment I am thinking about saying, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm trying to deny that because I don't want to make it awkward. Why not make it honest? So instead of saying, well, I don't want to make it awkward, just take that awkwardness out of the conversation and say, well, I just want to make it honest. Am I being honest with them? But here's this last one. Am I being honest with God? See, here's the one that you can try to lie all day long, but God knows. (laughs) You can lie to yourself long enough that you believe it. (laughs) I've told myself for like 15 years now, I'm going to lose weight next year. I've lied to myself and I've lied to myself and I've lied to myself and I've lied to them and I, I, I told them and they don't know the difference they don't know what, 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 I, what what's real and what isn't real but I can't lie to God God knows so here's the question this morning are you where you're supposed to be at before God God knows and so do you so in a few moments when we pray and when we stand and there's a time of response given you know where you stand with God So let me just put it right here in your lap. If you're not right with God this morning, oh, be you to leave without taking care of that today. If you know that you're not where God wants you to be, whether it's in your faith, whether it's in your practice, whether it's in your obedience, whether it's in your salvation, whether it's in your attorney, whatever it may be, you say, well, you know what, preacher, I've got questions. Or you know what, preacher, I'm just not sure. Or you know what, preacher, I've been meaning to do something, I just haven't gotten around to it. Or you know what, preacher, with a different season of life comes or a different circumstance comes, then I will make a decision. We have all these excuses. We lie to ourselves. We lie to the people around us. I'm just going to tell you in these next few moments, when you walk out of these doors, whichever doors you go out of, God knows whether you're being faithful to him or not. Why leave? Why leave not knowing when you can leave with all the assurance and confidence in the world? Why? Why leave if you have doubts? Why leave if you have questions? Why leave if you don't no. I believe that God tells us right here in verse chapter or verse 16 there in chapter 20 you shall not, not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why lie any more? You bow your heads with me.